Well, our uh, subject this morning is the Christian's daily life. We talked last Sunday about uh, purity, sexual purity, and this uh, week we're dealing with the way that we conduct ourselves daily in life. If you look at your uh, introduction to uh, the lesson this morning, I think it's good way that it's laid out for us there. Jesus was very clear when it came to what discipleship meant. Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What to leave out? Daily. Yeah. Take up his cross daily. Now, if a doctor tells you to take a pill daily, how many times are you going to take that a day? You're going to take it one time a day every day, aren't you? Monday through Saturday, right? Going to skip Sunday? If you don't forget the pill. That's why I lay mine out on top of the counter and a seven-day supply in a little plastic outfit that's got Sunday through Saturday and always check it at lunch to make sure I took it in the morning, Joey. Sometimes I forget it. But the prescription says daily, we're going to take that daily, aren't we? If we remember to do that. But when we talk about living our lives in the way that the Lord would want us to walk, we're talking about doing the same, aren't we? Every day that we live needs to be lived for the Lord. And the behavior that we exhibit is important. And if you'll notice at the bottom of 65 down there, about three lines up, the short sentence there, behavior matters. Um... So Jesus teaches us we're to take up our cross daily and follow after him. Uh, how much of us did the Lord want? All of us, didn't he? Yeah, he wants all of us. That second sentence there, or third sentence there in your introduction says, Christ requires complete devotion. And that's what we need to be concerned about. Uh, I once heard of a businessman who said he was a Christian on Sunday, but he was a businessman Monday through Saturday. Can you live that way? Got to be a, a Christian in your business dealings, right? Because there are certain moral Concepts that are taught in Scripture that uh, we have to use in our business dealings, right? Honesty. You know, uh, we're to deal honestly with who? All men. Yeah. The Scriptures teach us that. So we're talking about everyday living, everyday living for. Lord. 
Paul says in Philippians 1.27, we strive for our conduct to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we strive to be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? And the next uh, paragraph there in italics is two words. What are they? Everyday religion. Everyday religion. He says it's described in the scriptures in various ways, and one of the ways that uh, is specifically mentioned here is Paul talking about the Christian life as a walk. Uh, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he goes ahead to talk about in 5 and 2, walk in love. Verse 8 of that chapter, walk as children of light. And in verse 15, walk circumspectly. Now, <clears throat> what, does that, what does that term mean, walk circumspectly? Pardon? Uprightly. Okay. Uh, some commentaries that you may read on that will tell you that the Greek wording of that suggests the idea of walking as Christ walked, which would be, of course, upright. Uh, we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, basically, is what, is what we're talking about when we talk about walking circumspectly. Then he gives us the teaching of Jesus about uh, what Paul said about shining. Jesus said, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, Influence is connected to what? Our personal behavior, isn't it? Yeah, personal conduct. The way we conduct ourselves daily in this life, the places we go, the things we say, the things we do, the people actually that we associate with has an influ uh, influence on, on others, doesn't it? Uh, that's why we have to examine ourselves, Paul says, whether we're in the faith. We don't need to be certain places. And sometimes we don't need to be associated with certain people. And we need to always watch the words that come out of our mouths and be careful about the way that we treat others. You see, those things are important because you cannot separate influence from personal behavior or personal conduct. They're, they're tied, to, tied together. 
uh, the explanation in your book on page 66 about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, light calls to mind one's influence. It is not possible to separate the two, as we said there a while ago. So we have to live every day as Christian men and women in a way that we hope to do what? Have an impact on others that we live with in this life, especially who? Those who aren't believers, aren't Christians. Um, and, and that's so important. And you've heard this over and over and over again. This is not something new in this lesson this morning. James defined pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit or to help the orphans and widows in their troubles and to do what? Keep oneself unspotted from the world. And notice that next sentence there. What does that demand? Daily effort. Right. Uh, are some days harder than others to do what we need to do? Yeah. Because some days you meet some people that make life kind of hard, don't they? <laughs> and you come across some circumstances sometimes uh, on a certain day that, uh, you know, Challenges your patience, I guess, and uh, makes it easier for us to say something we shouldn't have said, you know, or to have an attitude towards someone that we shouldn't have, and so on. So some days are harder than others. Some days, for example, we may be around people that we love and Christian men and women and, and uh, our children that, that we love, and we just have a, a good time of fellowship together, and it's easy on those days to be what we need to be in. But when we get out into the world and we're dealing with all sorts of situations and people, sometimes it's difficult. So they says, the demand for Christian living is is daily. It's a daily effort. Uh, and we have to be on guard 24-7, don't we, against our enemy, the devil, because he's a roaring lion, Peter says, that goes about to devour us. So we need to be careful about that. Paul addresses the subject of daily living in this text that uh, Bobby read for us at the beginning of our lesson today. Last week we talked about the need to maintain sexual purity. This week, the need to do what? Practice brotherly love. Yeah. And uh, notice the last sentence in that paragraph where we're reading there. Brotherly love is demonstrated when one behaves appropriately. And the last part of this lesson text today is probably the best known of the writings of 1 Thessalonians. And most of the time we hear it read and, and um, studied uh, and thought about, I guess, uh, sad to say, on funeral days. But it's something that we ought to consider 
daily. Because the coming of the Lord does what for us? Yeah, but it also, knowing that the Lord is coming again, and at that time he'll be the judge of the world, what ought that to do in terms of our living? Motivate us to live righteously, right? In view of the fact that when that happens, when the Lord comes again, and we'll talk more about this later, there won't be a time for repentance after that, will there? It'll be too late. Uh, so, knowing that the Lord is coming ought to be a motivator for us to live daily lives and behave in such a way as would be approved by the Lord at his coming. Uh, that way we have the hope of what? Life everlasting. That's right. And then he says what a comfort that is. After learning the truth, the brethren were to use that truth to comfort others. Well, the first section of this lesson today has to do about walking uh, properly. And uh, Paul and Jesus both taught that the beginning place for godly living is for us to love each other. Jesus uh, was asked a question by a lawyer in Mark 12 and 28. That question was what? What is the greatest commandment of all? And what did the Lord say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your being, right? Did you stop there? No. He went ahead and say, said what? Second, there's a second like unto it. Thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's right. Uh, that Jesus actually quoted from the Old Testament in that passage. <coughs> if you turn back to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, uh, you'll see that. And then it's, uh, Leviticus 19 and 18, I believe, also records that. Paul said to these Christians that we're studying about here today, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Would you say love is a doctrine taught in the Bible? Yes. It's part of Christian doctrine. But it's also a moral precept. Uh, and we're to embrace it as Paul says here in this passage. Now, one of the ways that the brethren in Thessalonica had shown their love for others was their action in doing what? Spreading the gospel and doing evangelistic work in the region of Macedonia, wasn't it? Didn't he comment on that? How they had taught uh, and the love they'd exhibited toward those that were in Macedonia. But he said, you have love, but you need to what? You need to grow in it, right? You need to keep it growing. Uh, 
we don't just reach a point where we, we've loved all we can love, but we can learn to love more, right? Uh, love is a doctrine of the church, and it's an exhortation to live a practical life of, of uh, goodness. Uh, Paul was concerned that that the believers would would not only honor God in the way they behaved, but also live in a way that their life would commend them to those that were not Christians. So often in the church, when we talk to uh, people who aren't believers, one of the excuses they often use for not coming to services or even want to study is that what? I'm just as good as that guy there is who goes to church. Do you know what he does? Well, you know, sometimes that's a valid point, right? A man in sin is a man in sin, whether he claims to be a Christian or a non-Christian, right? And sin does what? Condemns, right? Don't matter, don't matter if it's a Christian who sinned and hasn't been forgiven of that sin, if he doesn't repent and receive that forgiveness, he's condemned, right? And a man who's never been baptized into Christ, who feels he's okay the way he is, He's condemned because he's not been obedient to what God requires of. So we as Christian people need to conduct ourselves daily in such a way that we don't give off that kind of attitude and influence to other people. Uh, you know, if I didn't pay my debts and I'm dealing with a businessman and I'm claiming to be a Christian and he's not, what's he going to think? Well, nothing positive, right? Here, this man claims to be a Christian and he's not, he's not fulfilling the obligation that he agreed to. Same thing with cursing or, or whatever, you know the behavior may be, if it's not Christ-like, then obviously we're taking that person in the wrong direction. So we need to be very, very careful about the behaviors that we exhibit in this life. We are not perfect in any sense of the word, right? For we all sin and come short of the glory of God, Paul taught in Romans 3, right? None of us are perfect. We all have our faults. And we all stand in need of uh, God's forgiveness. I do daily in life. And I ask God daily in life to forgive me of my sin. So I'm not perfect. But at the same time, we need to exhibit to people that we deal with 
that we're in contact with, Christian or non-Christian. A Christ-like attitude. And if we have influenced them negatively in some way and we know about it, then we need to say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean this or that, or I didn't mean you to take that that way, uh, or whatever, you know. Sometimes we get, sometimes we say something, and it comes out one way, and we mean it another. I do that quite often. But, you know, it's just something that we have to deal with. We're human beings, subject to mistakes, but when we realize we have made our mistake, then we need to do something about it. And if that means dealing with another person or if that means dealing with God, we need to do both of those. So honest, upright living, walking exactly as Christ walked is important. Second thing that he uh, mentions here is uh, the worth of honest labor. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now that's from 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8. But he mentioned something here in this text today about our work and not being lazy. You know, it's just as disgraceful to be lazy as it is to lie, cheat, and steal. Paul uh, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians talks about the value of work. We need to work with our hands to provide for our own and also that we might have to give to help others who might be in need. Uh, he uh, wrote in the book of Ephesians that uh, uh, let no man steal uh, but with his own hands work that he may have to provide for himself and also for others. So we don't want to be lazy. Uh, we want to be workers to provide literally for our families here and help others, but also we want to be workers for the Lord. Overcoming ignorance. That's the second section here uh, from 1 Thessalonians 13 to 14. We said probably the most well-known scripture in all of uh, the writing of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, they faced a lot of challenges, just like you and I did. They lived in a pagan world with idols that were set up and a god to this and a god to that, and immorality abounded uh, openly in the culture that they were a part of. Well, we say the same thing about the world that you and I live in, the culture that we're part of here. Um, we may not see shrines set up like they had carved out of wood and stone and all of that sort of thing around us today, but we have our gods that, that uh, people look to and uh, worship in some way. Uh, so they, they, they lived in a world where there's a lot of problems. Well, we do too. Last week, our lesson, sexual uh, immorality, that's still a problem today. Hundreds and thousands of years uh, since the days of the Old Testament, uh, people like uh, those priests that, that uh, allowed prostitution in the temple, 
uh, and things like that. Bad things. We still have that going on in the world that you and I live in today. But these people that lived in Thessalonica, they had a misunderstanding about what happened to the Christian after death. And they had a fear, it seems, as you read this, that, that those that died in Christ were going to be at a disadvantage than the living when Christ comes back the second time. So Paul wanted to straighten that, that concept out. And of course, uh, the coming of Christ the second time certainly influences how we live daily in our lives. Uh, so he addresses that. They were ignorant about the truth concerning the subject of death and the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, Paul had mentioned the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Now, he deals with it here in this passage, and he wanted to remove the concerns that they had about it. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, who was it said ignorance is bliss? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's not when it comes to what Paul's talking about here, is it? I want to enlighten you. I want to teach you the truth, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Well, we've got hope beyond this life, don't we? As obedient children of God. Uh, they thought the Lord would return before they died, according to what you read here. And Paul may have indicated that in his thinking when he said, we that are alive and remain, we, that includes him. But later on, in some of his writings, we'll see that uh, he probably thought he would be gone when the Lord returned. Which, of course, he is. But Paul wanted to understand some things about this. They feared, on page 70 in your workbook, that though these loved ones would be denied the privilege of participating in the glorious return of the Lord. But they're not going to lose anything. You know, sometimes we pray for the Lord to return soon. Have you ever thought about that? Now, for the Christian, that'd be a plus, right? But, as Christians, what are we trying to do? We're trying to bring the lost to Christ, right? So we may be a little bit selfish 
in that. Because if we ask the Lord to bring the lost in, we need time to do that, don't we? Uh, bring the lost to Christ. Uh, yeah, me to die is gain. That's right. His attitude was, if I live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I die, that's gain. Yeah. It is gain for the Christian to die in the Lord, right? But at the same time, we look back, uh, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Second Peter 3 and 9. So, you know, we all want to go to heaven. There's no doubt about that. There's a country song, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but some of the words are something like this, <laughs> I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. You know. Uh, if I die in Christ, that's gain for me. But if I live for Christ, I'm going to do what? I'm going to try to influence others to do the same and bring them to the Lord. So, you know, there's two ways to look at, to look at that and something for us to think about. Uh, yes, to die is gain, but to live is to try to bring somebody else so that they too can enjoy our hope of heaven. One of the greatest scriptures that's given is that the very last one in that section here. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from now on, yes, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow after them. To me, that's one of the most comforting passages of Scripture that we find when we talk about death and dying. Because the death of one who has exhibited the behavior that's described for us in the Bible We'll be at rest. And I don't know of any greater appeal to us than rest. If you if you worked hard one day and all day and you come in and you're just, as we say, dog-tired, how refreshing it is to catch up with 30-minute nap. You know, to rebuild ourselves, so to speak. Rest. And how great that is. The last section, comforting one another. Uh, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, the living is not going to have any advantage over the dead. Uh, The living and the dead will receive a reward that God has promised. Uh, 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Wayne Jackson has some comments there. You can read those if you will. Uh, some doctrines that are refuted in, in uh, the teaching of this uh, particular uh, section. Uh, our time is gone, and as we uh, conclude our thoughts here on this, look over, if you will, at your uh, applications. I think they're good. Second sentence, we must show love for our brethren and for the church by conducting ourselves in a manner consistent with the gospel. That's one of the main thoughts of this lesson here today. Rather than attracting attention for bad behavior, we should quietly yet consistently serve God. Second one there. A reward awaits the faithful when the Lord returns. And that reward will be for both the living and the dead. One will not have the advantage over the other. Christians should look forward to a great reunion in heaven one day. Well, let's bow together and we'll close with prayer. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and for all the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ. Thankful, Father, that you love us, that you cared for us, that you gave your Son to die for us. We weren't worthy to be redeemed, but yet you loved us and willingly gave Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Help us, Father, to be obedient to your word and daily in our lives to show forth the example of Christians. Bless us in the worship to come and help us that all we do will be in accordance to your will. And we pray that each of us will be built up today because of our presence here for these services. Forgive us, Father, when we fail you. Bless all that need our prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.